CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Friday and Options Action. Here's what's coming up on the big show tonight. You gotta know when to fold them. That was from Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. But Carter Worth explains why it could also work for the stock of Procter & Gamble. Then, Little John also once had a song entitled Snap Your Fingers. There's nothing more to that joke, except that it has the word snap in it. And that's what Tony Zhang is singing about today. And our last song pun of the evening, you down with TLT? Or up? Or down? Or up? Professor Coe breaks it down. Why rates could be in for a bumpy ride. And how to ride that out with options. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. Let's get right to it. Consumer staples making a comeback from their March lows, now hovering close to all-time highs. But Carter says there is one stock that is signaling trouble despite this staple surge. So, Carter, what are you looking at? So I thought we'd target uh, Proctor here. I mean, Proctor is the biggest weighting we know in the sector, but it, it's just a bit hot uh, to my eye, and, and let's try to figure it out together. So first, a simple table. You can see it there on your screen. This is just looking at performance of the consumer staples sector versus Proctor. So on a one-year basis, the sector up 10%. Proctor has doubled that up 24. On a two-year basis, right, the sector's up 25 Proctor's up 77. On a five-year basis, the sector's up 33, and Proctor's up 93. Now, let's look at a chart of that five-year comparative chart, and you can see that there on your screen. So to be this ahead of your peers, meaning the sector is is, uh, composed of names that we know, Coke and Colgate and Church and Dwight and Clorox and General Mills and Mondelez. Proctor's so far ahead of its peers, of its sector, uh, that I'm thinking it's right to harvest gains, to uh, take some profits, uh, do what one can to uh, reduce exposure. So uh, one last chart. It is a chart of Proctor on a longer-term basis. And we know it had that strong advance in 18 and 19. And then you have the pandemic plunge and then, of course, this breakout. And I've drawn a, a line along uh, the top of where the stock broke out. But this move uh, from 125 to 145 in a way has, uh, uh, well, it leaves the stock too far above the pivot point, too far above the breakout point. So the premise here is to reduce exposure to Proctor with new money I would initiate on the short side, both absolute, it's ahead of itself, and relative to its peers, Hmm. just a bit too good. All right. So Mike, what's the trade-off of this? Yeah, so Proctor is an interesting case, of course, because, you know, one of the things that we've certainly seen is that just in terms of the fundamentals, the pandemic hasn't really affected the company that negatively. You know, they sell a lot of grooming supplies, but then a lot of other things that they sell, obviously, uh, have been in high demand in this environment, and people like the stability of the company. The other is that in a yield-starved environment, a dividend yield of more than 2%, that certainly is also attractive. But one of the things I would allow people to focus on right now is that a lot of that price appreciation has come because of valuation expansion. The multiple has increased. Right now it's trading over 28 times trailing, 27 times forward. 
This is essentially 10-year highs that we're seeing, and I believe it actually hit a 52-week high today, although it didn't quite close on those high levels. Now, going into earnings, one of the things that we are seeing is that options premiums are slightly elevated. Actually, options premiums are slightly elevated generally. The election obviously has something to do with that as well. What I was looking at was a diagonal spread, the January 145 puts. You could pay about $6 and a quarter for those when I was looking at them earlier today and then sell the November 140 puts against it for about two and a quarter. Net-net, you'd be spending about $4. The idea here is to collect some of that elevated premium that we're seeing in the near dated expirations and make a slightly bearish bet. Now, one of the things I would also ask people to consider, this is not a stock that tends to move very violently following earnings. Out of the last 44 reported quarters, there have only been two where a month later the stock was down more than 10%. That's the reason I'm comfortable selling that 140 strike put, that even though we're fading the stock here, we're not betting that it's going to absolutely collapse after earnings. We're just looking for a little bit of softness. Then that also helps finance that longer dated put that I own. So if we do see some further weakness in this space overall and in this stock specifically, I've helped finance that. And this is a situation using a diagonal where if it does happen to overshoot a little bit to the downside, I'm still going to have some upside in my bearish trade. Tony, what do you think about the fundamental thesis of this trade and the trade structure? I, I completely agree. Even though Procter & Gamble has a pretty strong history of consistently beating on earnings, if you look at year-over-year -year revenue growth, it's clocking in in the low single digits. If you look at EPS growth, it's about 5 to 6%. But the stock's up 11% this quarter alone. So I certainly think I agree with Carter that it's gotten a little bit ahead of itself. And if you look at the chart, there are some hallmarks of some exhaustion here on this recent breakout above $140 on that resistance level. You're seeing momentum no longer confirming these new highs. So I think you have a higher probability of a pullback here, especially going into an earnings event like this. Now, as Mike said, the implied volatility on Procter Gamble here is very low. So using this diagonal strategy, in my opinion, is a great strategy because he can buy those January puts for relatively cheap. And I specifically like, as Mike said, the stock doesn't move a whole lot on earnings. So he's using a fairly aggressive strike price, that 140 strike price. It's only about 3.5% out of the money, but the stock only moves about 2.5% uh, after earnings over the past four quarters. So I think that the strategy makes a lot of sense and the strike price is, is really smart. Does the context, the backdrop of the trade, Mike, change um, as we see rising COVID cases and, and potentially um, you know, slowdowns around the world, more lockdown measures? Well, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, of course, one of the things that people have talked about with Procter is with it, you know, closures and things like that, that's their biggest risk there is probably in the supply chain. It isn't necessarily on the overall product because they have a wide array of products. Some have been negatively affected by what's going on, but others have been positively affected. It makes them one of the companies that, you know, if you'll pardon me, is probably most immune uh, amongst publicly traded companies to what's going on. Uh, but really what we're doing here is we're, we're fading basically the aggressive move that we've seen to the upside, the aggressive valuation we're seeing on a company that is exceptionally conservative and grows steadily, but maybe not justifying uh, valuation multiples that are approaching 30 at this point. All right. Let's switch gears now to another name that reports next week. That would be Snapchat, the social stock surging more than 70 percent this year. Tony Zhang is betting that next week's earnings could propel the stock even higher. He's got a way to play it on the cheap. Tony, take it away. Yeah, so I want to take a look at trying to capture this acceleration in social media use using Snapchat's earnings. 
next week. Now, if we take a look at the chart of Snapchat, first of all, we've gotten a recent breakout above this 26 and a half, and you couple that with the really strong relative strength we've seen with Snapchat in comparison to the sector, I think this puts Snapchat well into, into uh, targeting 29 and a half, which is the all-time high it put in on the week of its IPO, and I think that we can tag that level and potentially go higher here on earnings. If we look at the user data here, this is really what's compelling for me. If you look at sensor tower downloads data for Snapchat, it's currently clocking in 83 million downloads here for Q3, which is the third highest quarter it's ever had since the IPO. So what this talk shows me is that we've had a pretty strong turnaround in terms of user downloads because last quarter we saw about a 13% year over year decline in terms of downloads. And we've seen a, a big, big turnaround here of a 25% increase in year over year downloads. And I think that's gonna speak to a very strong user growth story for Q3, which has been one of the key metrics that's been driving stock performance after the earnings announcement. So if we look at the earnings itself, Snapchat moves quite a bit, about 12.9% 12 12 on average over the last four quarters. Uh, I'm sorry, about 15.8% uh, 15 over the last four quarters. But the options market are currently implying about a 12.8% move. So this stock moves quite a bit on earnings. So the trade structure I'm trying to use to capture this further upside, because implied volatility is fairly high, is to use a call debit spread. And I'm buying the 28.32 call debit spread going out to November, spending about $2.20 for that $28 call, and collecting about 95 cents, almost half the value of that $28 call option for that $32 call option, paying net net here about $1.25, which is about 4.5% of the underlying stock price. And I'm trying to capture a fairly sizable move here to the upside because I do expect Snapchat numbers to be fairly strong. Do you like this trade, Mike? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. He was talking about how much the stock moves. If you just take a look at all of their reported quarters in the month following earnings, this thing moves an average of 18.5%. So while sometimes when we look at debit spreads into events like this and we think they're expensive, limiting the amount of money that you're spending to make a directional bet on a stock that experiences volatility like this is a way that you can expose yourself to some of the upside but limit your downside risk. And I think that's what Tony is trying to do here. I'll leave it to him to give you the case on whether or not it makes sense to be bullish, but the trade certainly does make sense. Carter, how does the chart look on Snap? Well, this is a pretty good instance of why when a stock breaks out to all-time highs, it has unlimited potential. If we know, and we do, that the stock IPO'd back in March of 2017, it's 17.50 a share, and within moments, a day or two, it hit 29. And it's been straight down ever since. It went as low as five. And over the last year and a half, we've been climbing back, climbing back. We are now basically right at the peak two days after the IPO. So any strength here puts you in a sort of blue sky, if you will. The concept of overhead supply represents shares above that when a stock gets to that level, people want to get their money back, be made whole. Once you're in all-time highs, you don't have that. Anyone who's in the stock has a happy experience. And the only person that's unhappy is a short seller, and that ultimately represents someone who has to cover. Uh, this is a very powerful setup. Wow. All right, got to take a break here. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, our final contestant likes long walks down the yield curve, impacting monetary decisions and pina coladas. 
Professor Michael helps match you up with a winning option strategy to navigate near-term volatility on The Rating Game. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. A bumpy week for stocks ended on a brighter note thanks to a huge retail sales beat. But today's data-driven rally is, un- is likely to meet some uh, headwinds in the near future. Stimulus hopes hang in the balance. The presidential election is rapidly approaching. So if you want to know where stocks go next, where should you look? Professor Mike Coe says the answer might be in the bond market. He's here with a call to action. Mike. Yeah, so here we are, you know, we're taking a look at 10-year rates right around 75 basis points, not absolutely as low as they have been. And if the German boon and some other places are examples of how low they can go, arguably one could suggest that they could go lower. But I don't think that's really what's going to happen. We have an environment of aggressive monetary policy, although it's hung up right now in D.C., we do have the possibility of significant fiscal stimulus as well coming in the near future. And of course, you know, this is a situation where these bonds have essentially been supported in large part by basically the flight to quality, the flight to safety. And right now, if we take a look at the options markets on something like TLT, which is the ETF that tracks long term bonds, one of the things we see is that the options premiums are quite elevated relative to their historical level. And in fact, if we take a look at the spread between the price for options going out three months or so and how volatile the TLT actually has been, that spread is quite wide. Now, we can interpret this one of two ways. Either options are overpriced or they're telling us something. And I suspect it's the latter. I think that options markets are telling us that there is some danger ahead for people who hold long-term U.S. Treasuries. My inclination here is to try to fade this here. And we can get Carter's technical view on the rate market right now. But I think what you want to do in a situation like this is keep the trade very, very simple. I was looking out to January the 155 puts, you could spend $2.50 for that. That's risking a relatively small amount. Now, you'll notice the TLT doesn't usually move a great deal, but sometimes when it starts to move, then the move can be quite aggressive. Take a look at how wide, basically, the difference between the high and the lows in TLTs have been this year, and you begin to get a sense of what I'm talking about here. And the idea is that by owning that put, if it does start to fall, there is a lot of flexibility. You can look to spread it. You can look to roll it. There's a lot of things you can do. But I think right now it's a very precarious situation for long-term treasuries. What is your technical take, Carter? Sure. Uh, I've got two charts, actually. The first is the yield chart. You can see it on your screen there. For the first time in basically a year and a half, the 150-day moving average is now flat. Uh, Taking your average price over a longer period of time, 200, 150, what have you, helps to sort of measure changes in trend. And by all accounts, While this isn't exactly an uptrend, that's not the point. The downtrend has abated. And so are rates going to 1.5 or 175 where they were in the beginning of the year? Of course not. Uh, But can they go to just the June level where they were at 90 uh, basis points? Absolutely. Uh, The second chart is TLT, which is the reciprocal. 
right, the iShares that you can trade. And you see, of course, just that. This has all the hallmarks of not a bottoming out, but a topping out, a rolling over. And so the play here would be to be short TLT. Uh, Tony, what do you think of the trade? So when I first look at TLT, I like to look at the relative strength of long duration bonds, which is what TLT is, is giving you exposure to versus the whole spectrum of, of fixed income. And it's one of the worst performing uh, sectors within the fixed income space compared to, let's say, high yield or investment grade. And this speaks to the flight to safety that Michael was referring to, that investors are not fleeking, are not flying to safety here. They're, they're looking for riskier assets. So this is a net negative, in my opinion, for long duration bonds. And if you look at the chart itself, this is really where you get a bit of a mixed picture here, because it clearly is trending lower here over the past couple of months. But it did bounce off that 200-day moving average a few weeks, a few days ago. And the momentum off of that bounce has been fairly low. And I think that you could potentially see another uh, retest of that 200-day moving average. For me, I'd like to see that break below that 200-day moving average or for the 10-year yields to get back above 80 basis points for me to go outright short on TLT. But I do like Mike's trade here from the perspective of he's chosen a fairly slightly out-of-the-money put option here going out to January. It's about a 30 delta put. So it's a relatively low probability of success trade, but it's only risking 1.5% of the ETS value. So it's a cheap way to play this bearish play. All right, coming up next, something new that we are trying here in Options Action, video tweet questions. And what better first video tweet question than one on a hot work from home stock? Click here to join meeting after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Something new for you. We're trying out hand uh, and video tweets. First up, a question on Pfizer. Hello, Options team. My name is Akshay Sharma. I'd like to thank you guys for all the insight and knowledge that you bring to your viewers. My question is on Pfizer. With uh, essential vaccines coming out in November, what's your take on a January 28th $40 call option? Thank you. And thank you for sending that tweet in, uh, the video in. Carter, what do you say? I think that's a real good bet. Meaning uh, you've got a lot of time. Stock closed, of course, at 37.95. Big day today, expanding volume, news related, of course. But uh, given uh, where the stock is now, the time uh, allocated to that position, I'd be comfortably long. Mike? Yeah, no, I, I like the trade as well, and I, and I like the timing of it, too. And, and the nice thing about Pfizer is it's relatively low volatility, low implied volatility, so the options themselves tend not to cost that much. All right. Up next, by now you either love it or despise it. Our next question is on Zoom. Hi, my name is Parker. I'm a young investor here at East Carolina University, where we handle most of our classes on Zoom. So my question for you guys is, would purchasing call options be a smart play before the election? I like that guy in the background waving the flag. Uh, Tony, what do you say about Zoom? 
Uh, I think call options is one of the only ways to play for continued upside here for Zoom. I like the stock. I like the fact it broke out above that 520 level recently to all-time highs. Strong relative strength, but I do think that the stock is a little ahead of its own fundamentals. So I like to take ex long exposure through limited risk strategies like these call options. Your take on the chart, Carter? Well, I must say, Tony was on this uh, Zoom months and months and months ago, and mm -hmm. it's been a one-way train. Uh, but it is, uh, it's a bit hot. I think it's uh, overdone. All right. And uh, to back things up a bit, our final question is on options trading fundamentals. Thank you for having me on and giving me the opportunity to ask you guys a few questions. The questions I have for you are, how do you determine which expiration date you should choose when buying an options contract? We've got to go to Professor Coe for this. Mike? Yeah, this is a really important question, and it's one of the mistakes that a lot of people who are first starting out and buying options make, is that they buy options that are too short-dated. Oftentimes, they're just looking at a specific catalyst, and they might buy options that expire in a week or two weeks or even a month. And that actually is a very low probability bet. The bet we were talking about in Pfizer actually makes a lot of sense. You want to go out, give yourself some time. I like options that expire 90 days and beyond if I'm going to be buying them, because you also have an opportunity in case your view changes. Chances are you're not going to be risking as much as you would be by purchasing the stock or shorting the stock. So give yourself some time if you're going to be buying options to make directional bets on stocks. Tony, your advice? I completely agree. So that's one of the mistakes that I think a lot of beginners make is they buy very short dated options. I usually go out about 60 days as a starting point whenever you're buying options and also with strike prices you want to buy at the money as a starting point if you're buying a call or a put. All right. It's already that time. Time for the final call on this Friday. Carter Braxton Worth kick things off for us. Arthur and Gamble, it's fantastic. It's the biggest one in the sector but I think it's too good. So. Tony, Tony Zhang. I think Snapchat's doing a really good job of engaging users. I think they're going to have a strong quarter from an earnings growth perspective. I like to buy a call vertical here on Snapchat going into earnings. Professor Michael Coe. Yeah, so following along on Carter's view on Procter & Gamble, I think you can use diagonal put spreads going into earnings. Take advantage of the elevated short-dated volatility, but also the fact that the stock doesn't tend to move that much following earnings. And then if you're inclined to short rates, as I am, you could go out to January, buy a 30 delta put. The 155s in January are the ones that I was looking at. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back here next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't go anywhere, though. We've got another special edition of Fast Money coming up next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.